Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday special of The Road to Providence. I'm David Brady, your host as always. If you like this video, you can you can click the like button, you can subscribe, hit the hit the notification bell, so that way you're notified every time I upload a new video. Comment down below to feed the algorithm, so that way your friends can find out. Also, just share it with your friends if you think that they'll enjoy this interview. Today, I'm joined by the host of No Way Jose, as well as one of the members of Tower Gang, probably one of the funniest groups around, Jose Galison. How are you doing, Jose? Doing all right. Doing all right. Just normal day. Just went to work. Here I am. Uh, I'm ready, ready to ready to roar. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Good to yeah. hear. So, Jose, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourselves for those who might not be familiar with your work? All right. Um, Jose Galison. I have the No Way Jose show, like you said. Uh, I mean, my show, I mostly just talk about stuff I want to talk about. I don't really necessarily have any particular agenda, but uh, I know it tends to end up somehow curtailing back to like agorism or I'll talk about egoism and I don't know, just whatever's on my mind. Um, trying to think. I, I've been the big thing I've been doing lately is the anarchist handbook episodes. So I'm trying to pop those out when I can. So, for example, I had Dave Smith for the Rothbard episode. For anyone who's unaware of what the anarchist handbook is, it's Michael Malice's book. It had a. Uh, it was like each of the chapters a different anarchist thinker, uh, a lot of them coming from different areas of anarchy. And so it's been fun trying to find good fits for every person. Uh, I'm trying to do my best to not necessarily make them critiques of each one. Uh, so it'll be more just like trying to provide a what they are. So struggling a little bit with the lefties. I think I have one uh, sort of lined up for the lefties, and that'll be hard for me to not make it an argument because it's, uh, it's like, you know, you're talking about like um, – Stuff like, um, you know, communist type stuff. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do my best. But uh, I've got a lot of good ones out so far. Like I had Thaddeus Russell for Emma Goldman. Uh, I mean, so I would highly suggest checking that out. If you go to my YouTube, there's a playlist of it. Uh, if it's on the, uh, for my audio ones, it's I, I don't really know how to set playlist. So you just have to search for them. But, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of talk about what I want to talk about. That's about it. Uh, I kinda, but then obviously I have the Tower Gang. Uh, and that's just more just us having fun. It usually kind of ends up weaving in and out of like libertarian theory and stuff, but it's mostly about just having fun. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had episodes where we don't even talk about libertarian theory at all, and we've still had a blast. So it's really just us, a bunch of guys with a really good uh, chemistry, goofing off, and that's about it. You got me, uh, Fat Dave, or I guess he's you know he's Cole. He's not really Fat Dave so much anymore. You have Toad, and then you have Clint Russell and Reed Coverdale, and that's the uh, rotating cast, you know. Usually we'll have, like, we shoot for three or four of us on an episode, and we'll usually have a guest, uh, and then just kind of whoever can make it that day. So, and that's me. So Yeah, so you mentioned agorism. I know I wasn't really familiar with the term previously. Uh, do you want to let the people know what agorism is, kind of explain how it works, versus rather than just, like, being, like, an ANCAP or maybe being someone who's uh, involved in, like, a political sphere? Because I know that that might be a little bit of a contradictory term to agorism. Mm -hmm. You want to explain yeah. what that is? I mean, agorism is basically a philosophy centered around tax evasion, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it also has, it has, it's more than that too. It's a, it was made by Konkin. I usually try to make the, cause people will say stuff like, uh, Oh, you can be an agorist and be involved in politics. I'm like, sure. You can kind of call yourself whatever, but, and words are subjective. So they're kind of like, depends on the user. Uh, you can kind of use a you can use the word cup to mean tree, and, and if you're using it that way, that's what you mean. And words are subjective. But at the end of the day, like if we're being fair, uh, I think the fair way to interpret agorism is how Konkin uh, defined it, since he's the person who made it and was very particular about it. 
Um, same thing goes for, I usually use the uh, example of Ayn Rand and objectivism because people, a lot of people are like, how do you define objectivism? It's like, well, it's what Ayn Rand said. It was her thing. She has very particular rules about it. And with agorism, he makes the case of not being politically involved, uh, you know, uh, so far as political parties. Because people will say stuff like, oh, well, you not being politically involved is political. And it's like, well, okay, kind of, sort of, but you know what I mean. Um, and that's, I mean, we, there's a, more to it. I mean, really, it's it's not that deep of a philosophy. It's pretty, it's only like two, sort of three books, because there's a, a book that was put together by uh, Wally Conger, I think. It was like from his unfinished works. They made Agorist Class Theory. But his two main works are uh, Libertarian Manifesto and Agor- and and an agorist primer. Right now, I'm currently doing a live reading with Caleb Brown. We're working through an agorist primer because I've only read both of them once, so it's kind of fun to go working back through them. But I mean, I guess we can go more into it if you want. But it's really that's kind of all. It's more about it's centered around what he calls counter economics, is what it basically is. Uh, and to be to be clear, those are different things. Counter economics and agorism are different things. Counter economics is like. Uh, uh, I guess engaging in the black and gray markets, which would be places where you're kind of sort of avoiding the state. Uh, you know, black would be entirely av- avoiding the state. Uh, that would be like stuff like selling drugs or something. It's completely legal. And gray is that like gray area. Uh, and then white markets would be stuff that's like completely on the up and up. You're paying. You're not even trying at all to go through tax loopholes because like you could still you could still be a CEO of a major company and still be you know practicing like working in the gray market by you know tax loopholes whatever you know doing your best to kind of avoid it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could go on more and more, but that's that's kind of in a nutshell sort of what it is. So. Yeah, so I've heard that agorism is generally described as seeking freedom through non-political means as like a broad summarization of what agorism is. And you'll see like a lot of those people will be proponents of, you know, stuff like Bitcoin, for example, which albeit I'm a little bit of a skeptic of Bitcoin. Someone could probably convert me over to it. Uh, But the goal is ultimately to not engage in the political sphere, but rather to completely steer away from it and seek freedom in your own means rather than accessing it. Um, so how would you how do you reconcile the idea of not being involved in politics as a means to achieve liberty when everything is just so politically charged nowadays? And it feels as though everyone's just fighting back and forth. Why don't agorists feel the need to engage in this fighting and to um, to fight back like libertarians like that, for example, are in the Libertarian Party? How do you reconcile that idea of not getting involved in politics in such a politically charged world? I mean, I guess I just don't really see much of a point that – in it really, um, I mean, me and a lot of agorists kind of differ. I don't take the moral argument. A lot of them use the moral argument of saying it's immoral to vote or to be involved politically in that way. I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's immoral. I just think it's not – I don't think it's usually a, a useful um, – I, I don't think it's usually useful towards your ends. I think you're better off just not engaging in the system. Uh, and that's not to say you can't have opinions. Like, I mean, people see me all the time engaging in political opinions. And, you know, I don't like gun control. I don't like this. But that doesn't – but I'm not going to really go through the effort of, you know, being like, hey, vote for this guy. Vote for that guy. Do this. Do that. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll still go. I've been – like, I went to – I'm in Florida. I went to the, the uh, Florida convention, the LP convention. But that's just because I know a lot of people there and I want to hang out with them. And I went there. I didn't vote on anything. I didn't really, you know, endorse any candidates, anything like that. I just – hung out like um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't really see much of a use in it. Uh, I think in the long run, it doesn't really do much. Uh, I mean, I know there's kind of a big hubbub right now with the whole Josh Smith thing. Uh, that And that's actually kind of the core of probably my main arguments is I think eventually it, like even if, say with something like the LPMC, even if you do have this like principled move of like, we're going to take over the party, we're going to do this or that, I think eventually it will fall apart. And all you're going to be left with is a larger platform for your enemies. So, like, the previous people, like, say, for example, the Sarwarks and those ilk, I think likely, uh, you know, four, eight, 12 years, however long it takes, eventually the good, people are going to see it doesn't really, not really much is happening. And, and don't be wrong, I think there'll be good messaging in the meantime. I just think uh, if you look at it from a longer lens and not just short-term gains or whatever, I think you'll see that it doesn't really have the benefits you think it does. Um, you know, and that's not to say at all, say if Dave Smith gets out there and he's got a, he's out there as the presidential nominee and say he's, you know, out there on the stage, I think he'll do a great job of being messenger and, you know, do a lot of things. But in the end, I think if you look at it in the long run, I don't know necessarily how much difference it make. And that's not to say there won't be people that he, you know, affects for the better. I think that's a hundred percent true. I think he already has that effect. And I also think, too, in the modern, uh, you know, in the modern era, there's it's becoming less and less of an argument for it because we're in a period of time with, like, say, with someone like someone like Dave Smith, he kind of, in a sense, already is bigger than the Libertarian Party himself. I mean, don't get me wrong, he gets a little bit of a boost from this, but I mean, but then at what cost? And I, I, it's almost kind of like a, I don't really know if you necessarily need it. Um, I mean, yeah, I think I. I mean, you look at now, you have all these people with podcasts or whatever. Not to say that's the only way you can go about it. There's obviously, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a fan of agorism. There's other ways to go about it, whether it be, you know, creating your own sort of agoristic business or engaging in that way and t selling other people that kind of stuff. I think you have an effect as well. But, yeah, I, I'm kind of rambling now, but I mean, that's kind of my summation there. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you're not going through political means in order to achieve liberty as i i, I kind of described it there um what are some of the methods that agorists will try to engage in what are some things that agorists are doing now to kind of set their set themselves free in their lifetime um well i mean sal would be a good person after this he's much more better in this department but i mean good example like you brought up bitcoin before but i like to use the uh i like to use like the uber lyft example I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not 100% black market activity, but to some extent, they broke up a lot of the uh, taxi uh, you know, unions and stuff like that because all they were doing was providing a product. They provided a product cheaper than the alternative and more convenient, and it won out. I mean, if you... If you utilize our lib, because I mean we're all about economics, you know, li libertarian. We we go on and on about hey, in a free world, you know, things would be better. It's like, well, why don't you engage with that a little bit more? Push that, and it kind of, I th I think in a way, it when you when you set up the incentives, uh, especially economically, to buy into your ideas, you don't need to use theory. It's obviously better if you have theory to go along with it, but if you have something like say like Uber or Lyft, you. You don't really need to, you know, sell anyone on these arguments of why taxi unions are bad or this or that. They're just like, here's a superior product. I'm going to use it. Same thing goes for Bitcoin. I mean, people are buying into it. I mean, I'm I still don't even have a little bit of Bitcoin. I need to. I keep meaning to. I'm a tech idiot. It took me forever to get a podcast going because I'm not very good with tech. One of these days, I'm going to finally get around to getting some crypto because I do believe in it. Uh, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I, I do think Bitcoin or crypto in general will probably to some extent be co-opted by the, the government in general. 
um, you know, in what way, I don't know, but it's definitely, it's, it's a tool for freedom just in the same way. I think it can be a tool for authoritarianism, um, you know, depending on how they go about it. Cause, um, say for example, something like Dogecoin, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, someone might get mad at me, but I believe Dogecoin has, they can keep just making more Dogecoin the way their system's set up, I believe. So say for example, I mean, it, 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 say for example, the federal government decided to be like, well, Dogecoin is the uh, new currency. They could still pull the same fucking tricks they're pulling now. Uh, oh, sorry, I swore. Uh, I have a hard time. Uh, but they could pull the same tricks they're doing now. Uh, it really wouldn't make a difference. But with something like Bitcoin, that has a limited amount. Uh, it's a lot, a lot harder to mess with. I mean, obviously, I know a lot of people say that, like, you know, the U.S. government could buy out the majority of the market, or it could be co-opted in some ways or another. I don't know. I, I'm not really that in in the know when it comes to crypto to be able to argue that one way or the other. But I mean, even if that does fall through, it still is better than the current one, and it's kind of a testing the waters, if you will. You know, so I mean, whether Bitcoin's the one who wins out, or, or say it's something entirely different, it's not even a crypto. It's a another different currency we end up using. It's it's kind of the same idea, like with like the light bulb. It took multiple tries before it, they got it. You know what I mean? So, and it's it's kind of stuff like that. I also think too, uh, agorism. I I kind of like to lately. I've been tying it a little bit into like the wealth, power, and influence thing because I think uh, Stapleton's wealth, power, and influence in a certain kind of way is almost. Really a lot like algorithm, but with a different aesthetic. Uh, it's pretty much – I don't think I've heard him really say anything that's necessarily anti-algorithm. They're very simpatico. But um, so a good way to look at it is too like you're on the individual level. You're improving your own situation because uh, a lot of people think of algorithm. They think of it as it like – Oh, you gotta go live in the woods, and you gotta go have crypto, and you, you gotta do, you gotta be a hundred percent the black market. Like Konkin didn't even say that. Like he was just like, it's kind of you, you weigh the risks and the benefits, and you push it to the limit. So like he even had a, uh, he he even had a um, formula for his risk analysis. It's basically like he would be like, hey, say you know that if you avoid taxes for this given thing or whatever, th this business that you're in. And say you find out that the uh, cost, you know, whatever fines you may get levied with or whatever is this much. Now, are you able to are you more likely to benefit more than the cost? If so, push forward. Like so if you're in a situation where like the only thing you might get hit with is a five hundred dollar fine, but you stand to re to get a thousand dollar profit. It's like, well, it's kind of a no-brainer. A lot of people like to look at that like, well, that's illegal. You shouldn't do that. And it's like, well, I don't know. What, what are the chances of you getting caught? What is the. And then even if you do get caught, what are you? What are the the penalties for doing so? It, these are things to think about when you make decisions. It's not it's not a zero or one game. It's not a binary. It's it's improving your situation. And if you use that correctly, you build up yourself individually. Which I think building yourself up on the individual level is the best way to go. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of elitism. So I mean, if you can improve your station and you can, especially if you're utilizing these. Um, these principles we live by in your daily life, I think that's in some ways honestly uh, kind of better messaging than a uh, political party in, in a lot of ways. Because it's like, look at this person. Oh, he's doing pretty well. Oh, he's living by his values. Uh, I feel like it's you kind of just by living, you make that uh, example to other people. So, Yeah. So how did you get into like the liberty sphere? How did you get to agorism? as your chosen little philosophy, as your goals and your uh, choice of like praxology, I guess would be the, would be the term. How'd you get, how did, how did you get to where you are? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, if I, I'm really bad with times, but probably around like 20, maybe 2015-ish is probably when I became like a libertarian. I'm probably wrong. Uh, don't hold me to any of this stuff. But um, uh, probably around the time I became like libertarian-ish. I kind of was, you know, listening to podcasts and stuff. I started out with like Shapiro, Crowder, uh, those kind of guys. And then I kind of moved, uh, you know, uh, towards like Rubin and then, you know, kind of like Rogan. And I think through Rogan, I, I want to say I found Dave Smith through Rogan. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure. And then I listened to Dave Smith for years. I was like a, a you know, a hardcore minarchist, if you will. And then, you know, Dave would always bring up anarchy here and there, and I'd kind of be like, oh, okay, whatever, that's cool. Like, I kind of saw the state as a necessary evil. I still saw it as evil, but I just thought it was like there was no way around it. He would always go about go on about reading about the anatomy of state. And I finally got around to reading anatomy of state. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I read anatomy of state. Uh, and anatomy of state, I was kind of like, for me, I was like, whoa, okay. Like, once I read anatomy of state, I was kind of like, oh, now a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the, blocks started falling in place kind of is things started making sense and from there i was like after reading that state that was like the moment where i'm like okay I, i'm an anarchist um and i don't know i probably i don't know was i think it was probably like 2020 2019 ish i don't know whenever the heck uh jorgensen ran uh that i think because I, I had a little bit of high hopes during that especially uh because i i had a little bit of high hopes uh god what was his name the um i can't remember his name right now the guy dave was pushing for um uh jacob hornberger yeah hornberger he I, I liked him a lot he was good i mean i thought he was a little silly pushing so hard on social security don't get me wrong i agreed with him but it's kind of like i don't get why this is like your main issue but like um you know so i liked hornberger a lot i was really hopeful for him and then when he fell through you know i was kind of like well i don't know jojo could be okay she's kind of cool and then over time it's kind of like it just it wasn't and I guess to some extent they kind of demonstrated a little bit of the futility of politics. Don't get me wrong. I understand that's not like in like for anyone out there has been like, Oh, he saw that and was like, screw politics. I get that's not the ideal argument. I, that's just kind of what made me lose a little bit of my faith. Uh, I read Konkin around that time. This is also around like lockdowns and stuff like that. And I, I don't know. I read, I read Konkin's work. And from there I kind of was like, Oh, okay. It's, it started clicking even more. And, and don't get me wrong. I, 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 I'm not like I'm not necessarily like tied to agorism, so I want to be clear with that. A lot of people like go on with labels because I, I have no problem with uh, you know having a take that's not necessarily 100% aligned with agorism per se. It's just a matter of what I believe. It's just the closest semblance of my beliefs. Um, you know, it's the easiest way to describe to people what I think. Um, you know, if anything, in some some regards, I probably find myself identifying a little bit closer to wealth, power, and influence. Just they don't really have an easy term for that. Uh, I'm not a wealth, power, and influencer. You know, what I mean, that doesn't make sense. But uh, I, I think, and, but I also think it's kind of the same thing as agorism. I think agorism does have some issues with. Uh, I think some of the people that agorism attracts kind of detract from agorism, if that makes sense. I've said this. This has been one of my main critiques of agorism. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of. I know that's, I guess that's where I kind of coming from. I, I, I don't really have much more of that. I, I, I read it. It just made sense to me. And from there I, I kind of, I still, I mean, if I hear a better argument, I, I just haven't really yet in my opinion. I mean, maybe I will, I, I don't know, uh, for something else. I mean, I'm sure maybe in a year or two, I'll have a different thought. I don't know. I'm not necessarily tied to it, but this is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. So you mentioned the anarchist handbook. 
Uh, I keep trying, my, my mind keeps wanting to go and say cookbook, but I'm like, no, I'd be put on a watch list if that's the book that I bought. <laughs> You're on one already, probably. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you mentioned the Anarchist Handbook and how you got into libertarianism. Were you someone who was big into reading theory? Uh, what was like, what were some of the big liberty philosophers you would say? Is it primarily Rothbard? Because I know that there's primarily uh, a lot of time in the new, in the liberty movement today. You'll see a lot of people being converted by Hans Hermann Hoppe, Hans Hermann Hoppe, or a Murray Rothbard. What are your who? What kind of philosophy did you get into? What kind of like spurred some of these thoughts? What are some of the ones that you think other people should look into? Oh, I mean, I think Rothbard for sure. Uh, a hundred percent Rothbard. Um, you know, like, and don't remember, I'm, I don't want to give off the impression that I'm some huge voracious reader. I try to read when I can. I do a lot of audiobooks, but Rothbard a lot, Hoppe a lot. I, I honestly think Hoppe is even better than Rothbard in my opinion, but hear me out. But I'm saying this because he stood on the shoulders of Rothbard, if that makes sense. So I, he, if there wasn't, if there wasn't a uh, Rothbard, there wouldn't have been Hoppe, and if there wasn't a uh, Mises, there wouldn't have been Rothbard. Uh, so uh, I mean, like I, for one of my episodes, I had uh, I think Jared from End Democracy or from Hopping.org on, and the thumbnail I used was literally a a a, a, a um, God, who I'm gonna mess up now. It's a Squirtle, uh, War Turtle, and Blastoise, but then someone photoshopped the faces, and the small and the and Squirtle was uh, Mises, and then a War Turtle was a uh, was Rothbard and Blastoise was Hoppe. I actually do think Hoppe is like better in that way. Don't get me wrong, I agree more with uh, Konkin's praxis, but you know a lot of uh, Hoppe is great. I, I love Hoppe. Uh, I don't think I've ever listened to anything of his that I didn't necessarily uh, agree with or didn't glean something really good out of. Um, I don't know Hoppe. I really can't rave on about enough. Um, you know, especially Democracy, the God that failed. That's huge. Um, I've listened to, I, I mean, I've mostly done most of his stuff in audiobooks, so I couldn't really list off all his works, but I've listened to a lot of his works and he's, he's a genius, but like I said, he's also building off of previous work. So, you know, kind of saying one is better than the other is almost an unfair way of putting it because they're kind of built off each other. Uh, but yeah, Hoppe, um, obviously Konkin, um, but I, I, I say Hoppe is superior to Konkin, but I think Konkin is the, the better praxis, if that makes sense. But Konkin also only wrote like like I said like two and a half books, so I think he kind of died a little bit before his time. I think he probably had more to do, but even then, I think uh, you know even if he had done more work, I think Hoppe would probably have been you know overall been more value. But I just still think Konkin has the proper praxis. And then also I talk about egoism a lot. So Sterner is great, although Sterner I don't even necessarily he I think he kind of more like undergirds philosophy, if you will. So I. I you don't even necessarily need to have him for uh, for libertarianism, but I like him. I think he adds a nice dimension to some of the stuff you read. It. I will say though, for people out there, uh, reading Sterner is kind of like I don't know, reading the Bible almost. And I don't mean that in like a religious way. I mean that in like a that you can have many different interpretations of what he said because he's very esoteric in how he writes. Uh, he was a very uh, very kooky guy. Uh, the way he wrote, you 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 if you read it, you get what I mean. But so it is. In some parts of his his work, it is kind of a uh, drudgery because a lot of times you don't even really necessarily understand what he's saying. But there's a lot of good insights in there, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I like, yeah. And I, I don't. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, 
uh, God, who is it? Uh, Most Dangerous Superstition's a good one. Um, God, I can't remember his name right now. I'm, I'm really beating myself up over it because that's that was probably one of my first books I read uh, of thing. And obviously, Spooner. Spooner's great. Spooner's amazing. Uh, I, I've read like pretty much every bit of his work I could get my hands on. Uh, but you know, there's not too many. Um, but I will say, No Treason is definitely a seminal work, and for a reason, uh, because it was his best work. But his other work is great as well. Uh, like, uh, but I'm, I can't really think of many others off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure I'll think of some later. But uh, that's what I got at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So. so since you're doing the Anarchist Handbook series, when you're having many guests come in to read a lot of these chapters with you and pick them over and analyze them, has there been any insight, particularly from any of your guests? that might have like conjured a new thought for you. Like, Hey, I didn't think about this before. Um, is there any like nice little insight to having someone else like, or any of your guests specifically, uh, there to help critique and look over these chapters? Um, I mean, the first that come to mind, I, um, probably the Goldman episode I thought was really good with Thaddeus Russell. But I, I mean, I going through these works, I've been, I've been for pretty much every one of them. I've, I've obviously read it. And then I've also then, you know, read it multiple times uh, to kind of like get it to sink in so I can have a conversation, even though I'm usually trying to lean on the guests a little bit more. But uh, the Emma Goldman's piece in that I really liked because I found it to be a good way to explain. Um, how would I put it? Um, like like sociological phenomenons, kind of how crowds work or how ideas move. I found that one to be very interesting, that piece. I, I can't remember what it was, Emma Goldman piece in there, uh, which I've kind of used to integrate that too a little bit into some of my like agorist type thought of like uh, political involvement and such, um, you know, kind of the idea. Because I think in that one, she goes a lot into the idea of minorities and majorities and how they interact with each other. And uh, But then uh, another good one would be the Benjamin Tucker episode with Ace. I really like that one because it, it is cool looking at some of the older, uh, you know, anarcho-socialists or anarcho-communists and seeing how a lot of them are a little bit closer to us than we think. Like if you read the Benjamin Tucker essay and you, I think there's only like one, like a, one or two words in there. Like if you just swapped them out and when you'd say socialism and change it to like capitalism, I think the majority of anarcho-capitalists won't even be able to tell the difference because the praxis he's calling for and the way he describes certain things, um, you know, it really is very similar, um, which I do think, you know, I guess that kind of makes sense if they're advocating for no government. It, it kind of in a lot of ways has a lot of crossover. Um, and I mean, I think in the Tucker episode, he does a little go a little bit into labor theory of value. But even then, he the way he uh, uh, the way he describes it is like unless you really are good with your economics, you probably won't even pick up on it. <laughs> like, And it, it almost is borderline indistinguishable to the uh, to the untrained eye but i mean i'm sure i'll think of some off the top of my head i i'm not really great with that kind of memory maybe something will come to mind later but yeah i mean they've they've all been been really good and uh i don't know i i've been actually really impressed and i know i'm a little biased but i have been really proud with how this series has been coming out so far but yeah there definitely uh, been a lot of good insights in each yeah, didn't you get a – was it a retweet or was it a quote tweet? Something where Michael Malice recognized that you were doing the Anarchist Handbook series. Um, what was that again? I know he 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 came to notice your what you are doing as far as analyzing his little collection. 
Ah, actually, he's had a. I think he's done it multiple times now. But I know I got like a reply, and he said kind of like keep up the good work. And then I know I've also super chatted him. I think once or twice, and he's he's you know I think he even said like I asked him if he'd be you know I kind of alluded to like maybe want him to come on because ideally my goal is to do all of the episodes and then anyone who's read the uh, read the book knows the last chapter is the Michael Malice chapter that's his chapter and ideally I'd like to be able to get him on for the last one and he did give me a maybe a solid maybe and you could tell he was thinking about it and it wasn't one of those maybes that you know is like a no it was like an actual legit maybe so um yeah oh here's another good one uh I um, I look at the playlist real quick the David Friedman episode with Jeremy Kaufman that one was really good because Friedman, uh, Friedman's coming from a utilitarian view, which a lot of people gets a lot of flack from a lot of our kind. Because a lot of our kind like to make the uh, like to make the moral argument, and but Friedman completely comes at it from a utilitarian argument. And I actually think, in a lot of ways, it's almost superior. But it's depending on you should curtail it to. I normally go with the moral argument because I do think the moral argument's better for using with like um, normal people. Because when you go into utility. If you're going to like a utilitarian argument, you're kind of going to bigger brain territory. So unless you're dealing with like a bigger brain person, uh, it's not ideal. But it is, it is kind of cool to look at it from that lens. I think that episode was really great. I really enjoyed that one. Um, I mean, really, uh, all of these episodes have been great. Like even the Plunkett episode with uh, Top Lobster came out really great. Uh, but yeah, definitely check them out. The only one I'd say was kind of man was my own episode. I did the I did, I did the first chapter of Hope Die Anarchy, which was the uh, the first chapter of it, which I actually think is a, a, a Malice did an essay, a, wrote an essay at the beginning, and then he did a chapter of his own at the end. And uh, yeah, that was that was so I did that one just as a solo episode. It was definitely a meh. I did okay. I mean, I I'm, I'm my own worst critic, so maybe it's better than I think it is. But, you know, I more did like a live reading because it's a pretty short thing. But, yeah, they've all been really great. But definitely the Friedman episode, the Dave Smith Rothbard episode, the Benjamin Tucker episode with Ace, and I liked the Thaddeus Russell episode as well, the Emma Goldman one. So, which that's like half of them right there. But those are the really good ones. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I noticed that a lot of the left leaning anarchists have this, I, they have this critique, they have this fear of like, corporate power merging with that of the state you know essentially what Mussolini uh described as fascism which mm. is strangely akin to socialism in that they both are like hey the state is absorbing all of these industries all of this power it's essentially i i view essentially fascism and and socialism is essentially ideologically the same collectivist um movements uh but they were very fearful of that and i think a lot of what they've said is probably it's starting to come true like this fusion of corporation and state power how the corporations will use the state power in order to further their own interests as well as uh furthering the power of the state uh would you say that they've had uh any any like merit as far as their little argument there what would you say like maybe would be some examples of that sort of thing occurring today oh yeah for sure um which that kind of brings back to the benjamin tucker episode which anyone who understands agorism too one of the main points of agorism too is that you know they actually are kind of like a it's more it, it pushes more of an entrepreneurial spirit and more decentralized and less corporations and it's I, from what i recall of it, a lot of people accuse agorism of being like a, a lefty thing because it's against corporations 
but it's against corporations because it sees corporations as a as an arm of the state, which they kind of are. And, and and honestly, a lot of anarcho-capitalist writers too do the same exact thing. They they talk about it, but they they go about they speak on it a different way. Which in the um in the Benjamin Tucker episode, that's kind of like that's kind of where they're getting at. Like literally in that 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 essay, he's kind of like, hey, like you know, we don't like that these corporations are doing this. The government's empowering them. We should disenfranchise the government to the fullest of our capabilities. And it's kind of like, well, that's very much – you could make that same argument as an anarcho-capitalist. So – and the only minor difference in a lot of ways is just kind of that he's making the uh, – he he undergirds it in in the labor theory of value uh, or or, or whatever. So, I mean, in in a sense, it's only a minor differentiation, which it does – I do think that kind of does matter, having a a bad starting point that can lead you to bad conclusions. But if you end up with the same conclusion, uh, we can work on those starting points later, and I'm I'm fine with you as long as we're on the same conclusion. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously modern-day examples, you know, really all of the past few years, like, I I mean – just kind of, uh, I could just hate, went, wave my hands around and say, look, um, you know, <laughs> and it is kind of funny that it is this thing that I do think 2020 in particular kind of opened a lot of us anarcho-capitalists and libertarians and anarchist eyes to like, well, maybe the lefties had a little bit, a bit of a point. And that's not to say we weren't wary of corporate power, but we were far more fo- focused on the government and don't be wrong it's fair because that's where it's coming from but we were all worried about communism but we're getting fascism um you know we were all on the defense for like uh, we weren't prepared for that because i think in a lot of this i think in some regards is, is the fault of being very people being very ayn randian uh you know because that is a starting point for a lot of libertarians and don't get me wrong i think uh, ayn rand has a lot to offer but I do think they venerate the corporations, you know, they, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. If we're in a free, if we're in a free country, a hundred percent, this is like anarcho-capitalism, you know, whatever. Um, if you had some major company that was humongous, it can't be like, okay, whatever. But they got that, they, they got that way on their own merit. Like, but in today's society, it's, it's an aberration for something, for an entity to get like that without being, you know, essentially to some extent, uh, a bastardized version of, uh, of business that's essentially indebted to the government. Um, and you know, whether they do that on purpose or they're sort of forced into it is kind of in, in the end, the, the, the result is kind of the same. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned the moral argument for, a- for anarchism as opposed to having a state. Uh, do you want to quickly like go through some of the broad points, you know, for those, uh, who might be listening, who are more like minarchists, I would say I'm probably more of a minarchist myself in the position that I don't think, I don't reasonably see the state as being abolished and it's ultimately going to be an evil that we're going to forever have to contend with. That's what I perceive it as. Um, how would you make the moral argument? Because I know the moral argument you said is the easier one to make as yeah. opposed to the utilitarian one. Um, for against government, uh, to be fair, I mean, I I actually don't necessarily think that. Like, I know a lot of people say what you just say, and they'll be like, "Well, that's why I'm a min- I'm a bit of a minarchist." But you can totally you could be of the opinion that governments will always exist and still be an anarchist, like because it's it's. N- it's still, I mean, that's kind of like being, uh, I mean, obviously this isn't a perfect example, but that's kind of being like rape will always exist. So I'm here for small rape, you know, like, 
like it's okay like yeah i will always exist like sure and i actually think yes to some extent even though i i i'm not necessarily utopian but i do think probably one day we will have something closer to what us anarchists want uh you know but or, or at least pockets of it or large areas of it but i do think there will always be you know statism because statism is something that exists in the mind so i mean the idea uh it's kind of the same thing with like racism. Uh, you know, racism will always exist. There will always be people who are racist. There always will, but it's a matter of how much and in what form and what power do they have. Um, so, you know, at the, you know, this is why I brought up most dangerous superstition. I'm really beating myself up. that I really can't think of the author <laughs> right now, but uh, he goes into that and it's kind of like, there will always be someone out there that believes someone has the authority to rule over them. And there will always be someone out there who believes they have the uh, they have the right to rule over other people? Um, you're not going to get rid of that. I agree, but it's a matter of in what form. And I do think that we will have pockets of freedom. I think we probably you could even make a case there are areas that are pockets of freedom now. And then to some extent, that's kind of what agorism is. You're sort of creating your own little pockets of freedom. Like you know, if you're engaging in the world as an agorist, you're not necessarily it doesn't mean you're you, you're living in magical anarchy land, but you are pushing the boundaries to the most you can without overdoing it and getting in too much trouble i mean it depends on how much risk you're willing to take on but you're kind of to some extent making your life more free and i think as more and more people do that i think it expands you create pockets of it and you know it goes from there and that, and really i think uh hoppa's idea of like covenant communities is kind of the same concept but in a political sense you know if you're using if you're taking over small towns and you're kind of creating making them more amenable to freedom um, I, I think it's the same idea. Um, it, it's just in a political sense. It's the same idea of you're creating areas that have more, uh, more freedom, whereas there are other areas that have less. Um, but the moral argument, I mean, really at the end of it, like you don't really have the moral right to, you know, coerce them on anyone. That's really all it comes down to. Uh, and, and once you follow that to its logical end, I mean, you get to the point where you're like, well, I mean, no one has the right to. And you can still be of the opinion that there will always be a government of some sort. And sure, I actually agree. There probably will always be some sort of government and even coercive governments because uh, people make the argument that, well, we could have a non-coercive government. Well, that's kind of a, a, a contradiction in terms, but sure, whatever. Um, but I guess whatever. I can accept that. But, you know, I, I do think there will always be some, but that doesn't mean you have to be for it. And, you know, it, that's really all there is to it. I mean, I, I guess if you want to narrow it down a little bit more, we could go more into it. But yeah, really, at the end of the day, though, you don't have the right to coerce upon anyone, uh, unless we're talking about Sterner and his egoistic rights. But you know, so far as you know, normal moral arguments, you don't have the right to you know force me with violence to do anything to aggress upon me. It really is the logical conclusion, the non-aggression principle. So yeah, um, so. I notice I've seen a lot of the utilitarian point of view. That's what kind of got me more into it because I picked up this book. I don't recall who the author is anymore. Uh, I should really find the book. It's somewhere lying in my home. Uh, it's called, um, I don't, hmm. Now I can't even remember the name, but it's about, oh, it's sorry. about liberty. Larkin Rose. I'm sorry. I had to say it right now because <laughs> well, it's in my mind. Larkin Rose. That's the one who's the most dangerous superstition, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> my gotcha. bad. Um, <laughs> 
There's a there's a book. Oh God, I'll have to find it. I'll probably tweet about it as soon as I find it. It's this book on libertarianism and making the case for libertarianism, and it goes into the utilitarian point about like, hey, the government, whenever it encroaches upon these things, it either makes it worse or it's incredibly inefficient, and the free market could do it better. Uh, I thought that was a really compelling case, and that's really what got me into it. But um, are What's you? What's the machinery of freedom? Was it? Uh, no, I w- would not okay. say it is. It's, it's by a smaller author. Gosh, I really need to find that book now. I'm going to tell you as soon as I find it because now I r- have my heart set on finding that book. <laughs> That's I why I had that. to yell at Larkin Rose because it's one of those things when you, when, you, when you can't think of anything, you're like, but I know it. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, so I have to ask, are you like black-pilled or white-pilled as far as the situation is going? Uh, I know like uh, for those who might not be familiar, a black pill is like, hey, you ultimately think we're going to lose, that there's no chance that you've kind of crushed all the light. The chance that we had has been crushed. Like maybe you're thinking, oh, Ron Paul didn't get elected president. We don't have a chance. After Ron Paul's done, there's nothing left to do. Or um, or white, or are you like white-pilled in that uh, you believe that we're ultimately going to win. Like, it might not be easy. It might be difficult, but we're ultimately going to win. Where, where would you fall in that little scenario? Honestly, uh, neither and both. Um, you know, uh, I think, honestly, I mean, I get why he'll use a black pill and white pill, but in a, in a certain sense, it's also kind of a silly binary. Because at the end of the day, like, what you need to do is figure out what reality is and adjust to it and, you know, react accordingly. Um, and I think my personal opinion for the future is I think things are simultaneously going to get better and worse. It just depends on your personal situation, uh, where you are, all sorts of different factors. So I think you need to see that right in the wall and adjust to it and you know react accordingly. For example, I think if we were to fast forward a decade, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, I think likely if you're in a rural place in New Hampshire or Florida, you're going to be vastly better off depending on what your values are than if you are in, you know, a, an urban area in California. Um, and, I mean, you can say that's black pill, that's white pill, whatever, but I, I actually think the future is going to be a greater divide, and I'm actually fall for it. I want places to get worse so other places can get better because I think that's how that works. And I've actually kind of applied uh, – uh, this is kind of a uh, something I, I started applying to my thinking from – talking to i kind of already had that thought in my mind but it kind of gave it better explanatory power when i uh, talked to um andrew from popular liberty uh he his concept of archotropism and how he kind of sees uh how power works and he kind of almost uh explains it in the like laws of like uh god i can't remember essentially i I always think of it as like fluid in like how because i'm uh, i wasn't i used to be an aircraft mechanic in the military but like um, I, I, that's kind of how I see it. So I understand how like hydraulics work and stuff. And it's like, you can say with like hydraulics, you can move liquid. Uh, say you have a 10, 10 square feet of, of area and you move liquid, uh, and, and you have liquid all through it. And say you move the liquid to half that area. It, it's, you're still have the same amount of liquid, but it's more concentrated in one area. And so I, I kind of see power in the same way. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think there might be some sort of sense where it can dissipate to some extent. But for the most part, I think that's an apt way to look at power. I think as it concentrates more in one area, it loosens up in others. So I, I think the more the, the federal government or different state governments or whatever crack down, the more it's going to create freedom in other places. So, I mean, you see this now with like uh, every time Biden cracks down with some craziness, you see – you see like New Hampshire or like Florida crack down the other way and be like, screw you, we're not doing this. 
And I think that's the future going forward. And I just think you need to see the writing on the wall and act accordingly. Now, if your values are consistent to uh, to liking your chains, and if you want to maybe even have, to some extent, maybe better amenities, it depends on your values. You may be better served to live in that urban area in California. I think most people you're not. Uh, but like, even if you don't necessarily value freedom, but if you're someone who values freedom, I think you need to see the writing on the wall and act accordingly. And that's to some extent, a lot of like, not to keep bringing back to agorism, that's why agorism is just act, just go out and do stuff. Start, start being an entrepreneur in whatever way you can. Like even right now, what we're doing right now, I get money to podcast. I mean, not a lot, but I get money. Like, so this is, this is a, you know, so stuff like that, go out, go do things, uh, uh, really like, um, you know, like. If you are living in the city and let's say you're even in California and you can't afford to move out of state, move to a rural area or, and that's not to say rural areas are always going to be better. I mean, it's obviously there's multiple factors that go into everything, but you know, you got to do something. You can't just sit there and be like, well, I, I just hope things get better. I mean, okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, sure. Then I guess you are black pilled. Uh, I think Yarvin has the concept of clear pilled, and I kind of have it wrong. And that's, I, I might have it a little bit wrong, but like I, I think his idea is basically sort of that. You just understand what's going on, and you just kind of react accordingly. I guess I'm neither a pessimist or an optimist. I like to think of myself as a realist. I don't, and I think it's kind of pointless. I mean, in a sense, I'm white pilled personally. I, I think somewhat the route I'm trying to go down, I, I hope, will work out to my benefit. Uh, that's actually part of why I got out of active duty military because I I saw the writing on the wall. I actually think it's going to get worse for people in the military because I'm you know I, I definitely did take a financial uh, you know drop in doing that, but in the short term. But I think in the long term it'll work out better for my you know my my life and even probably even economically in the long term. So I, I mean I don't know. You just gotta basically people need need to act their incentives and start creating those incentives. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could keep going, but <laughs> I'm rambling now. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. I ramble all the time, especially a lot of the time when I'm trying to figure out what questions to ask. So I asked Reed about it when he was on the show. I believe he was actually the last person I interviewed, um, on, on the show on the Sunday special before the new year came. Uh, I talked to him about like 1984 and, you know, all these dystopian novels that people are always comparing to the modern day is based upon what you know as far as like your unique perception on the world because everyone's got their own unique perception of looking at the world what would you say is probably the closest way of uh the closest dystopian novel to where we're going today i don't know i think a lot of them are kind of off although 1984 in a lot of ways is kind of apt but, uh, like, I just started reading the John Hasness uh, thing in the Anarchist Handbook, and he was going on about how um, how they have doublespeak in uh, 1984, and the idea of they'll be like, we were never at war with Eurasia, and, but, but you know in your head you also were. And he actually brings into, like, we kind of already have that, and we've had that for a long time. Like, if you look at the legal system and how it works, like, we people simultaneously understand, uh, say, with, like, the rule of law, that you know the the law is corrupted by politicians and this and that and this, but then on the other hand they believe in this grand concept of the of the, of the rule of law. And it's like well these things are directly in conflict with each other, and you're holding these two concepts in your head at the same time. Um, so there's that. But I don't know for the future. I can I really can't think of one. Maybe um, 
don't know. Maybe that's not a good example. Uh, maybe kind of no. I don't know. I was thinking that uh, that 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 one with um, I never read it, but that that one with uh, God Jennifer Lawrence, the the Mockingbird thing or whatever. Oh, the Hunger Games. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think we would have Hunger Games per se, but I do remember they had like the areas where it's like super nice cities and like all you know rich, and then they had the outskirts, and then uh, you had like the they kind of had like the like they were kind of peasants living on the outskirts. But then they always had this idea of the people outside that that were living even better, supposedly, which I don't remember. I'm kind of like working off a loose idea because I do think the future is likely to be uh, the, is likely to be kind of like, a, you know, these technocratic city states. And then you will probably have people living on the outskirts. And maybe like there will be probably like people living in the very outskirts that might be actually living kind of worse off. But people further out on the outskirts where they're outside of the uh, realm of practical state power where the, the arm of the law has a harder time reaching them other than whatever kind of loose law they have set up you know whether it's sheriffs or whatever because I, mean, I don't think it would necessarily be perfect anarchy i think they'll be in a better situation but i don't know i think a lot of our uh, you, uh not utopian but dystopian novels really uh were a little bit off but i guess it's a little bit of uh, all of them to some extent i don't know i'm sure i'll think of something later but i can't think of a good one off the top of my head <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm the way I've looked at it, and I think I talked a little bit about it with Reed, is that I kind of see it as this weird fusion between, like, Ayn Rand's Anthem with uh, 1984 and Brave New World, and that we're constantly being, like, we're becoming enslaved to our vices at the same time that they're kind of, like, playing this language game and this surveillance state that's, like, by God, Orwell was correct in, in seeing that coming. Um yeah, yeah, the vice so thing is a good is a good point. Yeah, because I I do think that is that's kind of what I was getting at a little bit earlier with you know if if you follow your values you may end up on that other side that I'm talking about because I'm talking about how there'd be this bigger divide. But because I think to some extent the freedom side uh, if your values align with freedom to some extent will require more work, but I also think it has larger payoff. Uh, it's kind of the whole high time high time pre- high time preference low time preference. But on the other hand, you might have the more amenities. You might have the more flashy things. You might have more vices, whatever, you know. And I, it, so I guess I, I kind of sort of agree with you there. But go on. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, you're perfectly fine. But I just see it as kind of like that sort of thing. And then there's like the destruction of what an individual is. And more so just trying to label us into groups is like reminiscent of Ayn Rand's Anthem. And it's been a long time since I, since I read that book, since I read that for some essay I did back in like – I think maybe seventh grade. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Did um, you do it for school? Oh no, I was just my dad was like, "Hey, oh, Ayn Rand is doing this thing. You could win a scholarship thing. Why don't you go and do this essay? All you got to do is read read Anthem, and then explain how that has to do with objectivism." I'm like, "I don't know. I don't got a clue what objectivism is. So, but I'm just gonna write this." And so I did it. But yeah, I don't think anyone um, knew objectivism was except for Ayn Rand. So, yeah. <laughs> At least according to Yaron Brook. Apparently, Yaron Brook knows. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, hmm. So, I, you're, of course, I, we mentioned at the beginning that you're a member of Tower Gang because we're going to try to move into a little less of these heavy topics into more of the, like, the fun ones. You're a member of Tower Gang. It includes like Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown, Reed Coverdale from The Naturalist Capitalist. Toad, does, does Toad do a show at all? Does he do no, any co- other content? No, Toad and, Toad and Cole or Fat Dave or what do you want to call it because he's re- rebranded multiple times. I don't know what the heck he is. But um, 
you know, they are just kind of the mainstays. Like, they basically sort of run the show, basically. Like, they do all the stuff, and they're kind of the hosts that are basically always there. So that's kind of, to some extent, their show, although it's also our show as well. We're all the, the hosts. But, yeah, no, they don't have their own shows. It's me, Clint, and Reed that have our own shows. Uh, maybe they should – I was thinking the other day maybe I should try to encourage them to their own show. I think they might be good if they had, like, a sports show. They both are big into sports, so I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, they – yeah, Clint, uh, Reed, and me are the only ones with their own shows, and they kind of – and then uh, Cole and Toad kind of run Tower Power Hour to some extent. So Yeah, so what what's the origin story of Tower Power Hour? How'd you guys get together? Where the heck did Cole come from with his – Real kind of racially charged jokes that we uh, that we've come to know and love and attribute to him. And where did Toad with his little uh, with his little banjo? It is a banjo, correct? I might be getting that wrong. I hope Toad doesn't kill me. Ukulele, but I think he has Ukulele. a banjo now. I saw some video. I think he might have a banjo now. I well, mean, yeah. either way, it's a stringed instrument, and he's yeah. skillful at it. Oh, where, how did they come into the picture? Where did you all? How how did Tower Power Hour come to be the way it is? Well, first off, Cole, those aren't jokes. Um, <laughs> uh, he, as a young child, his family was raped and killed by black people. So, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> no, they're jokes. Um, oh my! We we more just do it because it's it's we find it funny and we don't care what other people think. But um, I don't know. We uh we all started. It was actually when it first started out. It was me, Cole, Toad. Nick Ashley and uh, and a guy named Cap. Uh, he never gave us his real name, but we we started a podcast. I already had No Way Jose at that point, but we kind of started in group chat because this is when the Tower phenomenons. I don't know if you were on Twitter at the time. Uh, it was like I'm sure you've seen a Tower once or twice now, but there was a period of time where it was really popping off. And I want to be very clear: a lot of people give us crap because we're like we they're like, oh, you guys, you're just grifting off of Towers or whatever, and it's like. Uh, we weren't the original towerers. We we we've admitted this multiple times. People started towering before us, uh, and then like, cause the way it worked is people started towering, and then like I think we were there was like group chats is kind of what it was, and they they would coordinate, and we were the we we ended up being like the second main group chat of these these towers, and they became this grand, and this was in during the lockdown, so I think that's why this happened. Really, it was during the lockdowns. I think a lot of us had a lot more time on our hands. Um, so we were able to do stuff like that. We got, they got really coordinated. It got to the point where there were like four or five, maybe even more group chats that were within each. They were basically almost all at max capacity and we were coordinating with each other. So like, it was pretty intense, but like, we were like the second group chat and we even, I mean, I totally think we at one point kind of became sort of the main group chat that was running most of the stuff, but we weren't the first ones. So I will fully admit this isn't our thing. And we had a group in our group chat. We would also have discussions and we'd have fun. And we just, we had a really good chemistry. And, you know, there were a couple of people that made like, hey, you guys should have a group chat or whatever. Like, uh, I think Josh uh, uh, Smith kind of took credit for that kind of, but he sort of did. I think he made a couple comments. But it was original, uh, originally a, a guy named Ovaltine Jenkins that suggested, I think, Cole. Uh, a couple times, like, you guys need to have a podcast, you need a podcast or whatever. And initially it started out as like, we were just going to like, you know, kind of talk about the towers of the week and just kind of like use those as like jumping off points for fun discussions. Cause I mean, you know, which kind of makes sense. Cause we saw it in our head as kind of like, you know, cause you know, uh, what, like what's the one we did on a, we did one on a Megan McCain, uh, was like daddy's in hell pork chop or something. <laughs> and, uh, like, so like, say for that, you could use that as a jumping off point to talk about, 
to talk about, you know, McCain and all the evils he did. And, you know, and, and you can kind of go, it was a good way to be able to, you know, have fun and have comedy and kind of, and then also go into like libertarian theory, which we all like, and just to have fun. And that was the whole idea. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and so then we started that. I mean, a lot of people accuse us of like grifting of them, like, ah, whatever, we're just having fun. We were just some guys like this would be fun to do. Uh, we did it and it kind of grew quicker than we thought it would. Um, you know, we, I think in the first episode we had Clint, uh, showed up as our guest. We got him to come on the guest. Cause I think he was in one or two of the group chats and we kind of like, Hey, you know, it'd be good to have you on. He came on, um, you know, I think cap dropped off pretty early. That guy, we ended up having some weird issues with him and he, uh, he bounced. Um, and, uh, then, uh, so then like Clint and Reed, they just, they were like recurrent reoccurring guests that just kind of ended up being, like very common reoccurring guests because we end up coming on and after a while they're just kind of like well you're basically just here you're basically one of the get one of the hosts um and then reed reed showed up like i don't know probably like episode i mean maybe around episode 10 i mean i could look on my phone and tell you but it was a little bit later but very early still and uh this was when he first started pushing his liberty uni stuff and we were all actually in the group chat very wary of it we were like kind of like it came off as kind of just kind of gay. We were like, I don't know, Liberty Unity? What, what is this crap? And then uh, we talked to him, and we were like, oh, this guy's actually pretty based, and he's pretty dope. And we actually learned to like him a lot, and uh, you know, and we got to know him. And then he kind of also became a reoccurring guest. Uh, Nick ended up dropping off way, way, way back. Uh, I want to be very clear. I have no hard, no hard feelings to Nick. I know a lot of people like to contrive drama between all of us. I like Nick. I hope the best of the world to him. We're good. But... Um, then he dropped up, and now so the kind of the the guests, the hosts are us. Um, I think of what else there is to that. That that's kind of yeah, just was born out of a group chat where we had a really good, uh, really good, um, and and then we also had the reoccurring guests that we kept bringing on because we had good chemistry, and it just kind of went from there and just kind of it's blowing up still. It's only at episode fifty, and it's already over two k uh, subs, which is. Uh, it's funny. I always joke around that they, cause when they first started, I was, uh, I don't know how many, so I probably had like 300 to 500 subs and I was already, I was already probably, you know, 30 to 60 episodes deep in my show at that time ish. I don't know. I'm really bad with time. Uh, like I said before, but I always joked that they were kind of writing off of my, uh, me and Nick, we always joked that they were writing off of me and Nick's, uh, um, you know, coattails, the, the tower power hour. Because uh, we were the only ones with shows that had like a, a semi decent following, and then, and now it's gotten to the point to where, uh, you know, I'm kind of riding off of their coattails. So because the show has blown up past mine, I'm already around like 120ish in episodes, and they're only like 50, and they're, I'm at like 1.3k, and they're at like over 2k. So I'm fine with it. Whatever, we're all fun. I mean, I know I joke about the coattails thing, but I don't really care. I'm not really like trying to. Neither of us are really trying to grift off of the other. Not that there's anything i don't know there's anything wrong with that anyways but we're just having fun and people seem to like it and come along with us um but yeah i, I definitely highly suggest i mean depending on what you like i mean if you like deep, like i mean i, I wouldn't even say my show is deep theory because i mean it's theory but it is like uh it also is a very it's kind of like i mean i'm not saying i'm like tower part or not like tower but like part of the problem but it's more like it's not super duper serious. Like anyone who watches part of the problem knows it's not like super serious. But even then, I feel like I have a little bit more of a relaxed vibe even in my show. But then now Tower Power Hour, if you want a comedy podcast that also kind of integrates libertarian theory, that's the place to go. 
I really don't know anyone other than like maybe like not a podcast and like Slurp Game, but even then they're kind of almost a little bit different. But those are I mean, really like we're the three. Like if you're in the libertarian area and you want like comedy, uh, those are the three to go. And I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's the best one. <laughs> so yeah. So why don't you tell me some of your favorite guests, or even like what are your favorite things about your fellow co-hosts? You know, you don't hear a lot about you guys on the show, and you're mostly talking to your guests for, for most of the most of the time. So why don't you guys like? Why don't you tell me, like, what are your favorite things about, like, Cole, Toad, Clint, Reed, those guys, or, like, some of your favorite guests and what you've loved about them? Oh, no, I hate them all. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Um, so what do I like about them? I don't know. We just have a good – we're all really good friends. We've all grown into be really good friends. We met each other at Tom Woods, like, for the first time all together at Tom Woods 2000. Uh, that was great. Um and it's kind of cool to see how that uh, vibe from the group chat actually applied to real life. And we we are just kind of a, a, a clique of friends. And uh, it's weird when the internet friends become actually real friends. Because I would hazard to people in there, don't 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 mistake Twitter for real life. But to some extent, if you do have this like I know group chat or whatever, or these group of people that you have been interacting with regularly. You know, and you end up meeting them in person. A lot of times, those vibes do carry over to real life, and this really did. This was the case. I really genuinely love all these guys. They're great. Uh, Reed's awesome. Clint's awesome. Toad's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I like them all. They're great for different reasons, um, and I think together we have great chemistry. Um, and I, I don't really know necessarily how to. This is like that question when your wife or girlfriend asks you what you like about them, and you're like, I don't know. I just, I just like you. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I can't really like list off the reasons, but no. And we're, I also think we work great as a cohesive unit. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, guests. Um, obviously, I mean, hands down, Dave Smith's been the best guest. Uh, you know, the last episode we just had. If you guys, if you guys are watching, you haven't latest watched the latest episode, episode fifty with Dave Smith. Uh. Go watch that. We knocked that out of the park. That episode was awesome. Uh, we've had him on twice on the show. He's great. Um, I mean, Dave Smith is I me, mean, but Dave Smith, Dave Smith. And I will say, Dave Smith, I've, I'm still only seeing myself as a friendly acquaintance with him, but Dave Smith genuinely is as good of a guy and as cool as a guy, you know, as you think he is. If if you are someone who likes him, because I mean, the little bit of a gun I've known behind the scenes, he's an awesome dude. Um, I've had him on my show twice too. The first episode was the Murray Rothbard episode, and the second episode we I kind of brought him up to talk about like dude stuff and like being a dad, being a husband, you know, just being a man in general, uh, having kids, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously the shoe and head one was great. I mean, I obviously have to look through the one through the catalog of guests we've had. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I mean, not to sound like there's a reason why Dave Smith is is Dave Smith. It's because he really is. He's just awesome. I mean, I'm, just, I'm like trying to blow Dave Smith. He isn't, but there's a reason why he is who he is. And, you know, and he also is kind of perfect for, you know, Tower Power Hour because the whole thing we're doing is a comedy libertarian podcast. So, like, who is the preeminent libertarian comedian? Uh, that would be Dave Smith. So it makes sense. He fits in perfectly with that group. Maybe one day we'll make him a host and get him to quit that, 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 that failed podcast, Legion of Skanks. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. I, I could look through the catalog and tell you, but I, that's not really good, uh, podcasting. You'd be like, let me, let me, let me look through our 50 episodes and see what we got. But I mean, so far as my show, obviously Dave Smith, but then, uh, I think it's episode 59 on my show. 
uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but it was a guy I brought on. It's a little bit more of a serious kind of sad episode, but it was a guy who was in the military and uh, he did some pretty heinous things and feels awful about it. And uh, we talked about that. Um, God, I wish I could remember his name right now. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's episode 59. Schroeder. Schroeder's story. That's his, uh, that's his, not his real name, but obviously. Uh, but I'd suggest going and check that out uh, if you want. That's probably, I think that was my most meaningful episode I had for sure. Uh, but yeah. Oh, Tower Gang. Uh, I think that probably one of the other best ones we had was Crypt Daddy which uh, was one of our most recent episodes. And it was a, it was this comedian who's like a literally a cripple. Like he's in a wheelchair. Or he, I don't remember exactly what his uh, condition is, but he is hilarious. And we basically spent like an hour, hour and a half just making fun of him. And it was hilarious. And he rolled with it and he was great. Uh, he's awesome. And then the other one's Josh Jenny. It always seems to be the uh, comedians are the really good ones. Josh Jenny was really good too. He's another comedian. But yeah, I mean, that's all I can think of <laughs> yeah. without looking so- through, the, <laughs> through the catalog of them. Yeah, so where do you see Tower Gang going? Where do you see the Tower Power Hour going as far as, like, uh, a lot of time we talked about, like, I know Dave Smith kind of mentioned it slightly about, like, it kind of is, like, libertarian culture. As in, like, you have, like, the left, which is constantly making their culture, as in, like, their, like most of Hollywood is what left-leaning, is left-leaning culture. You have the Daily Wire now stepping in, like, doing, like, conservative right-wing culture. Uh, and then there's like Tower Power, which is providing like comedy and fun rather than just like these deeply intellectual conversations that you see every libertarian podcast and uh, t- speech uh, uh, is giving. Uh, that it's kind of like creating like a libertarian culture for something for libertarians, like these non woke libertarians to enjoy. Um, so, where do you see Tower Power Hour going? I know. I hope far. Uh, I actually, the longer we do it, the more it catches on, the bigger it gets. Uh, I'm kind of surprised with how quick it's grown. Like I said, we're only 50 episodes in and we only do like one a week, uh, but it's still growing like pretty well. And I, I really think, I really think it actually is one of those shows that has potential to grow outside the libertarian sphere as well. Uh, especially where I think we've been talking more behind the scenes and we want to start having more comedians on and, and it's not to say we don't want to touch on libertarian theory. We still do, but it more wants that we more want it to be like the backdrop. We just want to have funny conversations, and if we tie that in here and there, cool. If not, oh well. And I think that will allow it to be a little bust outside the sphere as well. And I think it has a lot of potential for growth. And uh, I, I I commonly use this uh, this this uh, not necessarily expression, but this. Uh, this, uh, I don't know what, what I would call it, this thing uh, to, when I talk about like Vermin Supreme, because I'm not a big fan of Vermin Supreme. I, I hate that loser. But um, I, I always say, because I, I don't remember exactly, I think it might have been Democracy the God Fails, but he made some line about how to make a joke of the state, uh, to make the, the, the state a joke. And um, uh, and I always use it to Vermin Supreme. And it's like, but he, and people try to be like, oh, well, you know, Vermin Supremes make a joke of all this. It's like, no, he's making a joke of us. Like, people see that and they conflate that with us. And I think to some extent, Tower Power Hour is kind of to some extent doing a little bit of Hoppa's game. I know a lot of people be like, say that we're making a joke of us as well. But it's, I mean, to those who get comedy and, you know, have fun, I think a lot of people can see through that and it's not really as much of an issue. Uh, so I think in some senses we're kind of making a joke of things and we're to some extent making a joke of the state. And I don't, I have a lot of high hopes for it. I think it has a lot of potential to go really far and to be 
something really cool. And we're going to totally promote the heck out of it this year. We've talked about, so for anyone out there who wants to follow the show, if you want to send us money, like super chats, whatever, I, I I'm letting you guys know, we've already like kind of, you know, done handshake deal among us all that all of that money for the next, at least the next year, we've agreed that we'll re, re we'll meet reconvene a year from now and decide what, what we're doing with the revenue. But for this year, all of the money is going to promotion. So, you know, uh, as soon as we have enough money, we're going to be trying to, you know, put ads up on part of the problem, Legion of Skanks, stuff like that. So if you want to see the show go far, uh, you know, support us. Uh, I, you know, I think it has potential to go far and be something really fun and interesting. Uh, I mean, if that's not your thing, cool. I mean, I get it. Not everyone likes offensive comedy. I love offensive comedy. I don't care. Uh, I mean, if anyone follows me on Twitter knows I – you know, if you're if your only complaint about something I'm doing is that I'm mean, I genuinely don't care <laughs> like, uh, and, uh, you know, or offensive or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I know I think it's potential. I think it's it's something interesting, but I might be wrong. But I mean, so far as the, the growth rate of it has been kind of like I, I think we're onto something. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Looking at it. Um... Tower Gang has probably been one of the most welcoming groups as far as like welcoming people to Liberty Sphere because you're just like, if you're willing to, if you care about Liberty, if you are willing to have a little fun, if you're willing to, if you don't have, if you're not totally uptight and woke and complain about everything, you're pretty much cool with you guys, is what I've seen. And it's just, Tower Gang's a great group. So, like, as far as, like, making libertarian culture, what other things do you think that um, Tower Gang can add to libertarian culture? Uh, what do you see as, like, other things that other groups might, quite possibly could do as far as contributing to culture? I mean, it's really hard for me to say. I think we just found a niche. Like, I mean, most of us, libertarians aren't really well known for being personable people uh i mean even me i'm a bit of like uh i'm kind of an introvert i don't really like i'm not someone who goes out and hangs out i have i have like one friend in real life that i actually hang out with and i don't think i've hung out with them in over like a month that's the kind of person i am i mostly hang out with my wife and kids and that's about it i go to work i come home i read i do whatever like that's me but i'm fully capable interacting with people i've you know, like I said, I was in the military for uh, for like a decade. I I'm they get, and that's very much like a dude's rock type environment. So it's always just hanging out with the guys. Um, and even now, my current job is kind of like that as well, hanging out with the guys. Um, and you know, so I'm totally able to cut up like that. And I mean, maybe it's a little bit of that blue collar type thing. Uh, I mean, I guess you have. I mean, me and Reed are both blue collar guys. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily considered any of the three other guys blue collar. I don't necessarily know you would consider them, but they—they're all. I feel like we're a little bit more down to earth in that way. So I think we have. I guess we're coming from a different, uh, a different spot. We're offering comedy, which is something kind of lacking in our sphere, because um, you know, say like we always use the shoe on head ex- uh, example. Uh, not to like rail on that because people accuse us of like grifting to get shoe and head, like whatever. We had a fun conversation. Uh, but you know, we were able to bring in someone and just we weren't bogging her down with libertarian theory. We were, I mean, we did talk a lot about libertarian theory, but we were also having fun. Um, and like we weren't like we weren't browbeating her, we were having fun. And I think that's something to offer. Like a lot of us aren't really people, per- people persons or whatever. And I, 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 don't, I don't really know necessarily what other niches there are to be filled. I mean, I guess we'll see. 
uh, like I said, I mean, I, I kind of alluded to earlier, maybe cool if like Toad and Cole did like a sports show. I don't know. There's all sorts of other opportunities of s- spheres for us to burst into. I don't know. It's really just a trial and error. I can't really uh, predict it. It's just kind of this is a this is a whole entrepreneurial spirit. If you have something you're good at, go and do it. And if it succeeds, cool. If it doesn't, you know, try something else. And that's really all it comes down to. Yeah. So I got to ask the question. Um, I had him on my show not too long ago. Jacob Winograd, why isn't he why isn't he allowed on Tower Power Hour? Uh, why isn't he? Oh, I mean, it's kind of a running joke at this point, but it was also because I think because he, he sort of broke podcast etiquette because, um, uh, you know, I feel like this is roughly podcast etiquette. I mean, I don't feel like it takes much to be much to be able to figure it out. You don't ask to go on other people's shows. You can ask people to come on your show. And then, you know, like, and then from there, you know, and even that, I don't think you really should ask them to ask to go on their show. You, I mean, it depends. I mean, it really depends on your rapport with people, which is something I feel like a lot of libertarians don't understand the concept of rapport. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. You, you kind of feel it out. I mean, obviously, if it's your best buddy and for some reason you haven't been on a show, there might be ways to approach that. But, um, you know, or depending on the d- different situations or if someone's asking for guests who's out there. But for the most part, I don't – you generally probably shouldn't ask to go on other people's show. You should ask them to come on your show. And if they find you interesting, they'll likely end up bringing you on their show eventually because everyone needs new guests. Uh, at least people do like interview styles shows. Um, but, yeah, so he did that for Tower Power Hour, and we just kind of have been – I'm sure maybe one day we'll bring him on, but we we're it's just kind of a running joke now. We're like, no, you're not coming on because you you broke the etiquette and because we all kind of uh, lambasted him for that. But Jacob's a great guy. Everyone should go uh, check out his podcast, uh, Daniel Three Biblical Anarchy. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh that's that's the uh, that's why we're <laughs> not having him on. Um, God, I had something else I want to say, but I, I think that's uh that's it. Yeah, he uh that's why he's not coming on the show <laughs> at least not anytime soon. Yeah. Um. As speaking of, well, we just talked about a guest that you probably won't have oh, on oh, anytime oh, soon. Oh, I know. What I want to say. Oh? I want oh, to bring go, up real ahead. quick. I want to bring up real quick because in our latest episode we had Dave Smith on. Uh, I didn't really get. I didn't really feel like it was proper to bring it up there, but Dave Smith was giving us crap about asking you to go on Tim Pool's show. I want <laughs> to make it crystal clear that we did not ask to go on Tim Pool's show. Lydia, his lady, offered for us to come on the show. And so every time we, you see us or we, you have seen us lately or at all, I mean, it's been a while since we have, mentioning it to her, it's because we're just rem- reminding her, hey, you said we could come on. So she already offered us to come on. I will admit that's a gray area of podcast etiquette, uh, but uh, it's a little bit different because she had already offered for us to come on the show. And she said, too, like, oh, well, you know, we'll have you come on eventually. So supposedly that she she's supposedly still the current status that we're supposed to come on eventually. I don't know when, if ever, maybe they'll never bring us on. I don't know. But they offered, and then we even bugged her about it again later, and like, oh well, we're just waiting to see if we when we can work into the schedule. So we're supposed to go on uh, go on Tim Pool's show. I don't know when. A lot of, I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, you're gonna ruin everything by going on there. No, we won't. I mean, three of us on there already have our own shows. We don't say obscenities all the time. And then the other two have been on, like Cole and Toad are both perfectly capable of behaving themselves for however long. Uh, I guarantee you there won't be any end bombs <laughs> on Tim Pool if we ever went on there. Okay, uh, so we're we're fully capable of that. But we did not ask to go on there. She offered, and every time after we were just reminding her uh, in our own joking way that you said we could come on. So a little bit different. Just want to be clear, we are not breaking podcast etiquette. 
Jacob did. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite moments um, when, when I was watching that. I was watching it live, and he's like, who do you think you are trying to go on Tim Pool? And he's just kind of chewing you out for it. And, but one of my favorite phenomena about Tower Power Hour is that when people will go, when somebody will say something outrageous or it's just a big figure, uh, somebody will reply and go, blank, go on Tower Power Hour. And it's one of my favorite phenomena. What, is, what are some guests that you would love to get on? Like besides, of course, comedians. Um, any specific big names that you would love to get on the get on the show? Oh, I want Fuentes on so bad. And then Alex Jones would probably be the two that come to mind. I mean, I'm sure if I thought about it, I could think of some other ones. Oh, and then I want to get Big J and Lewis on at some point. Uh, so that would be great. Um, which anyone doesn't know, those are the other two uh, guys from Legion of Skanks with Dave. Uh, we want to get them on at some point. But Nick Fuentes is... Uh, I don't know, we're still trying to find a way to get contact him because I think we could get him on. I think he'd probably do it. It's just a matter of how the heck do you get a hold of someone who's been so unpersoned on uh on uh yeah so if anyone out there knows how to get a hold of nick fuentes let us know we would love to have him on tower power hour just um, go into his odyssey live chat and just go and just start have, have a bunch of people yeah. go nick go on tower power hour by the way just to be clear because that's another thing we'll probably get crap for being like we stole that from someone else the go on thing started as a go on not a podcast which uh i think it's like pulpo and a few other people i don't even remember who the guests are off the top of my head um but yeah um yeah that start is that but we do it as well uh you know whatever we we throw it out there you know you ask you you know uh we've also towered to get guests before uh it you know you, you ask and you know you get lucky sometimes so that's how we got shoe on head was with the tower um uh but yeah <laughs> Sorry, the cat came up to bother, and I didn't want, I don't want him just meowing because the very first episode uh, with Justin O'Donnell, he was hungry and he was just meowing in the background, and I did not notice. And Tyler of the Libertarian Podcast Review, uh, he just mentioned, I don't know if there was a cat that was in heat. Well, no, he, it was not in heat. Uh, he was just hungry. So, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, I normally kick my cats out, uh, but yeah, I have, I think it was like one of my early episodes where one stayed in it somehow ended up on my shoulder while I was still podcasting. So, but yeah, We're yeah, I know. Don't you don't you raise like hairless cats? Yep, I breed Sphinx, the hairless cats. Yep. So, how do you do it, man? They they, they look so like, let's say unique, so I don't hurt their feelings, dude. How do you okay. do it? They are actually super cute. People say that all the time, but the idea in people's minds of a sphinx are like the like the they always think of the cat from like a what is it like Austin Powers or whatever. They don't all look like that. That's actually like those are actually like usually the least desirable ones. We actually sell those for less because uh, people usually don't like them because the, the normal just skin color ones, the the nude color ones. You gotta think just like your cat. I saw your cat. Was it orange kind of cat looking thing? Like yeah, if, if Garfield. Would, Think about if he was hairless, he would be the same color his fur is most likely. So he wouldn't be like full on like flesh colored. So there are all different types of just like there's all different types of or colors of the cats with hair. There's all different color cats with uh, that are hairless. And also too, they're not truly hairless. Most of them have like peach fuzz. So they aren't like. Uh, although there are sometimes certain breeders breed them to be more hairless. I prefer them to be more fuzzy. So we try to breed ours to be like a good balance. Um, you know, we we selectively breed for that. But um, you know, 
uh, I will say, yeah, when they have less hair, they do end up feeling like a sweaty ball sack. But if you if you breed for them to be more fuzzy, they actually feel very nice. They feel velvety. So like they they I don't know I I prefer them to cats with hair in that regard. They actually feel nicer, and they're they don't shed everywhere and not gross. And I'm actually allergic to cats, and so you know. Uh, just to be, just so people know out there, Sphinx aren't actually hypoallergenic. They are reduced allergen. So, because uh, they still have dander, because they still have hair and stuff, but they have way less. So, yeah. So, as sort of like the final little question, because I, I think I ask it every time to every guest. Um, you've mentioned, of course, you got to meet Dave. You've met your fellow Tower Power Hour. I've friends. never met Dave in person. Just to be clear, I've, well, I've met you, him. Well, you yeah. haven't. Physically yeah, met him, yeah. but you've talked to him. You've had him on your show. Who have been some of the big libertarian names that you've gotten the chance to meet because of your role in the liberty movement? Like meet, whether it is like just over like a video call, like we are now, or like in person. What have been? Who have been some of the big people that you've gotten to meet that you're happy to have met that you've gotten the chance to because of the liberty movement? Oh God, there's so many. Um, really, a lot of them. Um, God, man, there's just so many. Like, uh, I met Malice uh, only for briefly at Tom Woods 2000, like super briefly. So that was cool. But even then, like, it wasn't because of my role. Like, I was just some dude, and I just kind of shook his hand real quick. Uh, I got a picture, and that was it. Um, I didn't want to bug him because he was being hounded. But, um, I mean, obviously, Dave, um, I mean, it's uh, – I mean, I don't even really know. I Really, the list goes on. It, it is cool getting to meet all these people. And then it is also kind of funny when you do meet all these people, you realize like what a small pond we're actually swimming in. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I don't know. God, like I said, that'd be another one. I have to go look through my list, but those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. But at the end of the day, it really is the ones I'm glad to meet or, or the happiest I've met are my, my, uh, my, my fellow, t- fellow tower homies. Uh, because those have really been, uh, and, and honestly, Dave too, I really cannot stress enough what a, what a cool guy he is. Um, and I'm not even trying to like, you know, because everyone like to be like, oh, you're just trying to blow Dave to get appearances. Or he legit is a cool guy from the bits I've met, because like I'll, you know, I'll talk to him before and after episodes or whatever. And I've been on, I guess, four with him now, if you're including Tower Power Hour. And yeah, he's an awesome guy. Um, but God, I can't think. Of, I'm like I would have to go through the list, but I there's been so many. It's been really cool uh, getting into the scene and getting to know people and then having an impact on people. It's it's honestly more than like. Because I'm not really like a starstruck kind of guy. I'm not the guy that's like, nowadays a person's a person. So, I mean, Dave was probably the closest thing to that because he did really mean a lot to me in my development. Um, because, like, he's kind of what made me an anarchist and such. And, like, I don't I know. But really, lately, especially now that I'm getting a little bit bigger, it is always cool when I see people who say, like, what a difference I've made to them and stuff. Like, uh, I don't know, I had a guy named Orion on my show not too long ago because he's, he's one of my patrons. And I do like I offer like a if you're one of the $10 a month one, I let you curate an episode. And he came on to do that. And he like he legit was like, yeah, you're the reason why I'm an agorist. Or I think he might even say that I'm the reason why I'm an anarchist. Like and it is just really cool to see having an effect on other people because it is just weird because I'm just some dude. Um, and it, it's another cool thing about this scene. I feel like a lot of people especially some of the people you think are big realize the small pond they're swimming in are legit just normal people. Cause it's not like these aren't like the, uh, Alex Jones of the world or that's just the first name that came to mind. Like, uh, they, mostly people realize the small pond they're swimming in. And I think a lot of them are pretty down to earth and don't really let it get to their head so much and are just genuinely good people or not even necessarily generally good people. Just 
just I, I don't know they are they aren't that full of themselves. I mean, I guess every now and then you see someone who built, gets an ego about who they are, but it's like, dude, like you're. I mean, once you realize the small pond you're swimming in, it's like, all right, be, be a little humble. If you're really if you're really bragging about being a big timer in this scene, it's kind of like oh, okay. Because <laughs> I remember I was at Tom Woods 2000 and I, I was hanging out with Reed, and I can't tell you how many people came over to Reed to shake his hand and say thank you for everything you've done, blah blah blah, like. And, you know, Reed's just a dude and he's just a trucker and, you know, he, he understands that. And, and, but it's also, it's on the other, on the other side, it's really special, you know, the difference we're making in, in some people, not to say I'm, cause a lot of people accuse us of being like, we think we're making some big difference in the world. I'm just doing this cause I like having these conversations. I find it be fun. I talk about stuff I want to talk about and it just incidentally, I guess somehow makes a difference to people. And, and that does feel nice when you find that out. So, and I'm, but I'm also not someone who accepts compliments well because I'm a dude who and dudes don't normally get as many compliments because we're dudes. And uh, but no, it's just nice. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So well, Jose, I'm gonna say you're pretty awesome. I've got to say there. Oh, um. Uh. Well, just a little quick follow up. Um. What would you say to people who say like, "Don't meet your heroes; they'll always disappoint you"? What do you say? I know you've gotten the chance to talk with Dave Smith. Uh. What would you say to like that? Um, that claim that, hey, don't meet your heroes, they'll just disappoint you. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, I'm not going to, like, name names or anything, but it is true to some extent, you know, and I don't, I mean, that is true to some extent, but I feel like it's kind of like we got into the white pill, black pill thing earlier. Like, like say with, you know, especially once I started getting a little bit more to the scene, once again, not to say I'm some big timer, but once I started a little bit more to the scene, I did kind of realize you do learn more stuff behind the scenes and how people are just people. And so even with, say, with somebody like Dave, I wasn't necessarily, like, once I started getting more in the scene and you start realizing people are just people. So, uh, like, even with the Dave thing, I kind of was, like, did have, you know, my interactions with him, I did kind of ground it in that, like, dude, he's just a person. Don't have this idea that he's going to be everything you think he is. And I, even then, I'm, I want to stress, we're just friendly acquaintances. I'm not saying we're like homies. But even then, he's like, I'm so far, he kind of has been what he think is. But there, there are people who are people because people are people. They are complicated beings. They're not everything perfect you want them to be. So I just, I guess it would be kind of like white pill, black pill, like dichotomy was getting earlier. Binaries are kind of simple. So I would say with like heroes, don't expect them to not be humans with flaws because humans have flaws and to expect your heroes don't is a little bit silly. So, but I don't know it, it is always cool though, when you do meet someone who's a hero per se or whatever, and they actually are just for the most part from where they see everything that seemed to be cracked up to be, if that makes sense. But at the same time, don't expect that, you know, realize they're a person with their own problems and stuff too. So. Yeah. So got it. Do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to say before uh, we wrap this up here? Can I say the N-word? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> Please, God, kidding. no. Uh, no. I don't want my channel new. No, not really. I, I, I really got to say thank you for having me on. Uh, I appreciate uh, you having me on your show. I mean, I always appreciate anyone who has me come on their show. Um, but, yeah, um, no, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I hope you do well in this, this, this area as well. You're also really young. I'm, 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 I'm really jealous of you that you're where you're at right now because – I mean, I did not have these things figured out at your age. So, um, you know, so I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you. So keep it, keep on keeping on. Well, well, thanks, man. So where can the people find you? Well, I have the No Way Jose show. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm on Odyssey. I'm on all the major audio podcatchers. Pretty much only ever uh, promo my YouTube, like uh, 
when I put promos. I do want to let people know I do have an audio podcast. Just if you go to any of whether you go to any of the audio podcasts or if you go to Odyssey or if you go to YouTube, it will always be in the video description. You can look and I have links to everywhere you can get it at. So, you know, go that. I mean, uh, I mean, if you want to support me, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020. There are different perks. I'm not going to list them off. It will show on there the different perks for each level. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, you follow me on Twitter, 2020, no way Jose. I'm on Getter now too. I don't know if that's going to be any good or not. I'm not really using that much. We'll see. I think it'll probably fall apart, but who knows? Maybe it'll be awesome. We'll see. Um, and I have the same handle there as I do on Twitter. Uh, then obviously Tower Power Hour, which is on YouTube, uh, Odyssey, all the major audio podcasters as well. Uh, I would suggest watching that on YouTube or Odyssey because it's definitely more of a uh, visual thing. Although I guess we don't always do visual stuff, but sometimes we have visual components to it. Um, I feel like it's more enjoyable that way. But I mean, if you want to listen to an audio podcast, it's probably enjoyable as well. But uh, I really can't think of anything else. Uh, you know, I hope you know everyone. You know, goes out and checks out my work, and you know, is, supports especially support Tower Power Hour. Go, go, go! Drop super chats over there. We, re- I really, I have a lot of faith that that could end up being something really cool. So, and like I said, the we're gonna try to put all that into promotion. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I gotta have all the other Tower Power Hour guys on. I should, I should really just get all of you on just to like interview you as a whole. So that way, it's like, hey. Now I have the entire group here, and they can keep each other in check, and they and keep Cole's ego less inflated. <laughs> All right, you already got me and Reed on so far. Have you had Clint on? I've not had Clint on. Clint's a little bit up there as far as getting guests, but you know, I'll, I'll maybe someday I'll get him on. Yeah. But thank you for being here, Jose. I appreciate it. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you enjoyed like it comment share it with your friends as always and then i hope to see you next time guys peace